Hi, welcome back to Freshwater Perspectives, where today we're going to be talking about sight, smell, and sound. Which does a bass really care about? Stay tuned. It's going. I let's see. It's been another week. Rachel and I have crossed another thing off our wedding checklist. We have our officiate. We are okay. just a, we're about eight and a half months out from our wedding, so we are. I'd say we're we're pretty ahead of the game, which is good. That's just the kind of people we are. We have most of our design elements kind of figured out, so we are. We're plugging away here. Feeling, we're feeling pretty the good. Design elements. Mm-hmm. Is your fishing going to have a southern accent? Actually, kind of. He's from Huntsville. All right. Very nice old man. He said he's done over 1,300 weddings. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. He seems very good at what he does. He's also pretty cheap, so <laughs> kind of the best of both worlds. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, wow. I'm in the mm-hmm. wrong business. 1,300 weddings. 1,300. He has already, this year, he has 70 lined up. Really? Mm-hmm. Huntsville, that's... Three and a half hours away. Yeah, because that's mm-hmm. by the border, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He has 70 lined up. Think about that. That's 1,300 free meals he's gotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is he a bigger man? No, actually, he's he's an older guy, but he's I'd mm-hmm. say he's pretty he's pretty trim. He's like know? a it's like a one meal type of day when it comes to <laughs> wedding food, or maybe he I just dances. Like, I feel time. like with weddings too, it's such a crapshoot as to what kind of food you're gonna get. Whether it's like oh a nice plated dinner or like any kind of buffet. Whether mm-hmm. I think one of the people I was talking to in one of my classes, they're doing like a full barbecue buffet, which sounds really good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, that's just not what that's just not what Rachel and I were were down for. But yeah, yeah. I mean, free I food's free food, right? It's a, there's a wide range. Yeah, yeah. I know my um, wife's family for one of the weddings. They had many daughters, but like um, they did the food all for them for that wedding. Super good, but I think they said oh. it was like too much work, right? So it's like oh you yeah, absolutely think about that too, right? Yeah. Um. So. Uh, yeah, I just yeah. My family every year we would do this huge Super Bowl party for everyone mm-hmm. at my dad's work, my mom's work, and like some of my school friends. And that was nowhere near the amount of people you'd have at like a decent sized wedding. But I just remember just how stressed my parents were that entire week. So I can't I can't imagine having to prep like cook for an entire wedding. Oh, so speaking about Super Bowl, the Super Bowl is coming up. Yeah, a week from a week from today. Yeah. To, date this incredibly uh we're recording on february 5th of 2023 so a week mm-hmm. from today they're gonna do a super bowl party uh so one of the <laughs> one of the techs in our lab is throwing super bowl party rachel and i have the past couple of years but this year this year we're we're passing the buck we're letting someone else deal with it so nice to oh, nice to let <laughs> nice to let someone else deal with that i think he did a super bowl party when i was down there yeah, I think we did it. We did it in our old crappy apartment too, mm-hmm. didn't we? I think we went splitsies on a um, on a. Didn't we do ribs one time? 
Oh, I forgot yeah. about that. That might have not have yeah. been the Super Bowl. I don't, remember. I don't think that was the Super Bowl. I think yeah. that was just you and Sam bought a pack of ribs and you didn't realize it came with two or something. Something. And I was like, I can't it. remember. <laughs> yeah. And I made it and they I came out. Remember. I never made ribs before that day. And they came out, they came out pretty all right. I'm going to do, I think we're going to do like a wing thing. So first Ooh. off, Sam and I don't have friends, so it's going to be like us. Actually, we might have a friend coming, but um, we're still going to make just a ridiculous amount of food. And one of them is going to be, because I got a Traeger for a wedding mm. gift. Oh, did you um, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. As a little little ranger one, little guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we're going to just make wings on wings on wings and then like have like a sauce station. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody gets their own sauce. I like we'll that. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Nice, man. That sounds that sounds pretty good. You got got uh, anything else to share? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I told you this, but dude, this week, last since we recorded, I made a little joke about um, my dad having COVID. I think I turned yes, it, you did. I, yeah, I might have deleted it out of the actual um, episode because it was a little clunky. Um, okay. But I got COVID. Like, <laughs> oh no! And um, so oh. I've been—it's uh, just been a fever dream, like <laughs> the last six days. Um, but I'm back now. So it's, that's the big uh, announcement. Um, I, I just, just got heard... a booster a week, three, four weeks before, and that's I still insane. got whacked. I can't it's smell also... or taste anything. Oh, you got it that bad. Oh, everyone that I know that that's gotten COVID like this time around, it's just been they've been like, oh, it's been like a one day kind of head cold. But you got you you got it, got it. Like I've never I've never got it either. So <sighs> um, that wasn't the first one. So yeah, I got it. Not cool. <laughs> that's frustrating. Especially yeah, especially considering I remember that time it was like the last year you were here. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Sam got it. But I did. Your, your wife got it for like a whole maybe like a week and a half or something mm-hmm. 10 days and somehow you didn't get it i just remember coming home when you were sitting on your back porch with your little desk set up i didn't get it and auburn had this weird thing where it was like yeah. if you came in contact but you didn't get it you mm-hmm. you had to quarantine 14 days after your spouse or your roommate or whatever's mm-hmm. um, last day of 14 days. So I, yeah, it was 28 days of quarantine. Yeah. You were, you were in so there for dumb. a month. Yeah. <laughs> Boss man was so happy about that too. He was happy. <laughs> no, I'm, jo- oh. I'm totally joking. He was he was furious. Anyway, yep. So I got COVID um, feeling better. Thank God. <laughs> it wasn't, I wasn't, so I, did, I, I haven't gotten sick, knock on wood, not, not bragging, but like I haven't gotten like sick, sick for seven years. Oh wow! Like any like more it. more than like the sniffles. Like so, I hmm. have been on borrowed time, um, <laughs> and yep, it got it came to me. Okay, yeah, yep. I'm definitely not that lucky. I almost always get the flu every year, whether or not I Ooh, get really? the flu shot or not. I got it real bad coming back from Albany, New York. I had a conference there at the end of October, in my last day in Albany. I had that like you know when you get a scratchy throat, mm-hmm. and you're like oh either I'm sick or my hotel room was way too cold and I woke up the next morning, like in the middle of the night and I was like, yeah, this is the real deal. This and I was out for, <laughs> I was out for at least a week. It, I felt that was, I felt terrible. Wait, you had COVID? Or no, that you... was just like the flu. You did have the flu. I think a couple mm-hmm. times every year. Yeah. I don't uh, know what's wrong I with me. There. Jeez. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that's just, some people are built like that, man. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> just that's a nice way of telling me telling me I have a weak immune system. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, I just I've been blessed straight up. I have no idea. I've taken vitamins, I, I guess. But like, um, so it's my 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 East Coast immune system just can't deal with the Southern flu. You know, Southern it's just flu. it's just built different down here. <laughs> Comes in hot. That's right. <laughs> Comes in hot and sassy down south. I remember you had COVID down there. Oh, how many times did you get COVID? Worst. Only once. I had it really? real bad, like right when it first, right when it was first released in January twenty twenty. Um, New Year's, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. January yeah. twenty twenty. I got it over over Christmas. One of my remember Sam yeah. and I came with a. Um, right. <laughs> we gave you a, a glass of champagne and set it at your door. That's right. <laughs> like, hey, Lenny. <laughs> I, just, I remember drinking it and I was like, oh, I don't really like champagne, but this tastes pretty good. And then I remembered I can't taste or smell. I'm like, that's probably why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> But anyways, yeah. yep. So that's my update. Let's, let's hop into it. Let's hop into it. I have a couple little little news news clippings here, and I also want to have a quick update. So we did the PFAS episode a while ago, it seems now, mm-hmm. and I remember talking about how, at least I thought I knew the whole PFAS story as far as like 3M bought it off Tupont and all that all that fun jazz. So I was talking with other PFAS people. And they corrected me, so I want to correct myself on air. So apparently, so 3M never bought PFAS from DuPont. They were using a less efficient method that they bought from a Penn State professor. And just uh, just another little interesting fact is that PFAS was actually invented by accident while the inventor was trying to find, ironically, a less harmful alternative to CFCs and ammonia that were used in household refrigerators. Hmm. Yeah. So just uh, just wanted to fact check myself there before before anyone else does. Well, as far as stuff that's in the news, there's nothing too, I guess, exciting, at least from what I could find, just on a quick Google search, what I usually do before I hop on here. But I have two two little pieces of news. So one of which is that a multinational team of researchers have invented a new type of ice that doesn't float. So. I saw this posting. I didn't read into it because <laughs> I got all my <laughs> fun little winter facts last weekend. Okay. D- tell yeah. me about it. So it's it, honestly, so they were, it wasn't like they had a clear scientific process why they wanted to do this. They were really just curious to see what happened if you took super cooled ice, and by super cooled, it's negative three hundred twenty-eight degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. They took that super cooled ice and shook it up with some steel balls in like a mill, and that caused all the water molecules in the ice, which are usually like neatly spaced apart, which actually decreases the density of ice, and it mushes them all together to this kind of crazy array. Uh, because they're all crunched together there's more molecules in a smaller space it makes ice denser than it should be or as dense as water so rather than floating in water just kind of like bobs around like a little jellyfish and beyond that there there's really no mention as to what the significance is of this finding aside from physicists who were just interested to see how water works and and other stuff like that um well that's cool yeah i know it's one of those news briefings where i was like it sounds kind of cool, but also I don't I don't know what anyone's going to do with that information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, just sounds uh, like second... really cold water. Yeah, just really <laughs> really three negative three hundred twenty eight degrees Fahrenheit. But the second little tidbit, which may be a little more relatable, is is about some British sailors that were aboard the HMS Portland, who have been hospitalized after an issue with the ship's freshwater treatment system. 
So the warship was brought back to port more so as a precaution. And same goes for the sailors being hospitalized. The issue seems to have risen from a crew member incorrectly mixing the chemicals that convert ocean water to drinkable fresh water for everyone that is on board the ship. But once a crew member immediately uh, reported their mistake after they kind of realized what they had done, and no one is expected to have any long-term issues from this from this kind of situation. I don't know. I didn't realize that that was like a chemical process that someone had to deal with. I thought it was just all like pumps and engines and computers dealing with that stuff. Huh. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so speedy recovery to them. It sounds like they're, they're going to be okay. I think it was more just, like I said, a precaution just in case they were drinking untreated seawater or... Like I said, a kind of improper mixture of chemicals. Maybe they got mm-hmm. too much of one thing or not enough of another. So, yeah. Poor dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably his only job. I know, oh, really. Man. Uh, well, luckily, the, the, artic- the article didn't single this person out, so I'm not going to single that person out either. Um, but getting into bass, so why, why we're all here today. Um, how much how much of a, of a bass fisherman are you, Riley? Um, You know, I fish for them sometimes. Um, okay. down south definitely um, yeah 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 this is fun. i mean i'm pretty sure the state the state fish of like half the states down here is the largemouth bass so they just they love them down here i should i'll say i'm not as into it as some people are i mean okay. there are just so much when it comes to bass um mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. even like the genetics of bass people go deep into too because that can really yeah. affect um like a state record and be like well state record mm-hmm. of what like is it a blah 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 blast and it's like mm-hmm. cheaper so i know it can get really deep um, yeah i so. know when at least when i was on the up and up about this this is when i was hanging around with a lot of ichthyology people and taxonomists mm-hmm. and this was a couple years ago i think they all graduated by now but they were talking about i'm gonna mess it up but it was something like so there's the largemouth bass and there's the florida bass and then there's the Alabama bass, and it's like, mm-hmm. are they different? Are they subspecies? Are they totally different species? Are they the same species? And are they? Can they hybridize? If they do hybridize, what where does that thing plug in? And then yeah, there's a whole bunch of nonsense with that. That like I said, I can't go into much detail on because I don't know enough about it. But as far as I mean, if I can speak for myself. That was like the main thing that I targeted growing up in in South Jersey was largemouth bass. We had some pike that were always fun to fish, but at least growing up, I hated dealing with just the the teeth on pike, where it's just mm-hmm. easier just to grab a bass, you know, by the lip and yank the hook out. Or for a pike, you're sitting there like ah, <laughs> trying to get that <laughs> stupid hook out of there. I just, so. I feel like when you talk about fishing in Jersey, it's like a little pond and there's like 300 people around it like crossing over lines no no riley there's actually a pretty good number of reservoirs all over jersey some of which are pretty deep some of which are pretty big most of what i one of the my favorite spots to fish was actually it was an old sand mine that they flooded and it kind of it ended up connecting to a nearby river system so it kind of ended up just getting full of fish after a while so that was uh, it was close to the Pine Barrens. I'm I would so say when it comes it's, to it wasn't it wasn't part of the Pine. I mean, the Pine Barrens takes up like a third of South Jersey, so you're not wrong to just guess that. I almost went to Jersey for a job, Matt. We could have been kin. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so jumping jumping right back to bass. But 
like I said, so that was that was the main fish that I targeted growing up in South Jersey. And at least I, I'm pretty sure I can speak for, for most anglers today when I say I found myself overwhelmed by the sheer variety of fishing lures that are available now nowadays. And I'm sure most people can relate that whenever I found myself just kind of not catching fish for a long period of time, I can almost guarantee I'd find myself wandering towards the fishing aisle growing up and just kind of trying to find that little edge to grab those big fish and you're you're reading all the packaging and it's like oh smell like this the attracts the smells the smells attract the fish or the sounds bring them in or this one looks like a crayfish which is something they eat all the time or this one looks just like a minnow like the swim baits nowadays you the swim baits where it just looks like a little minnow swimming around really weird it's crazy um but despite despite all of that all that work and it's not research but i thought it was research growing up um and lord knows how many dollars spent if i'm honest i usually found myself growing going back to the black and green glow worms that my dad gave me they they just seem to work the best at least in my opinion but today we're going to try to end the debate pretty much once and for all and that's not once and for all absolutely but at least for the for me it was do bass care more about higher lower looks the sounds it makes or the smell it's giving off and huge disclosure this doesn't this doesn't mean to be the last word or to end the debate actually on what's the best lure technique to use while fishing. Uh, it's more of just me answering questions that I feel like every angler has had at some point in their life. So use the information how you wish. Use it. Don't use it. I just wanted to get this out there because did a lot of research and I hope everyone appreciates it. <laughs> so to get a better idea, let's first break down each of these three senses for bass. We have sight, hearing, and smell. And let's see if that provides us any clues before diving into the numbers, into all the research papers and, and fun stuff. So often touted as largemouth bass's most important sense, largemouth bass are indeed very visual hunters. So talking about sight right now, a bass's eyes are positioned towards the top of its head and facing slightly forward, giving the fish a nearly 180 degree field of view from left to right, actually a little more than that in some cases and slightly less than that from top to bottom with the fish able to see almost everything above and in front of it while being able to see nothing directly below it. Largemouth bass are also capable of seeing objects out of the water, particularly on calm days. And bass are understood to have reasonably good vision with a viewing distance of more than 50 feet in clear water. But of course, at the end of the day, this is, this is just limited to how clear the water is, but we'll come back to that later. So bass have been proven on several different occasions to have color vision. And one of these cases where it was proven was from a Japanese group who published a 2002 paper in the journal Fishery Science, where they tested the response of largemouth bass retinal cells to different wavelengths of light and found, among other things, that bass can indeed discriminate between different colors. This paper was very crunchy to read, but they essentially dissected bass eyes took the still kind of living cells and just kind of exposed them to different wavelengths and just see what kind of stimulated them. It was a really wild paper to read because I had no idea what I was talking about. I had to ask Rachel some of the questions because there was a whole, there was a whole section on histology and I don't know anything about histology, which is kind of just looking at, it's like cell kind of looking at cells and all that fun jazz. No idea what I was talking about. So I had to ask Rachel, (laughs) but more specifically the paper found that, they had that that most of these cells seemed 
kind of most capable of identifying red hues compared to other hues like blue. So this this kind of may think lead people to think that, oh, my lore should be red because that's the color they can see the most of. But the water? when you think about, for those of you who don't know, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the weeds here a little bit. So red wavelengths of light are the most readily absorbed by water. So as you move down in the water column, the first color that's lost is red, meaning that any fish that appears red actually appears kind of darker and more black, which gives them a chance to better avoid capture, which is why if you read or if you just watch a lot of YouTube videos or do a lot of deep sea fishing, and if you do a lot of deep sea fishing, a lot of colors you'll see more and more of a red, like squirrel fish are really a really good example. They have those big eyes that are suited for deep sea kind of life, and they're stark red can't see red once you get past a certain depth so um this kind of increased sensitivity to red just kind of helps the bass counteract to that so they can see red a little bit better which probably just puts it on the same kind of playing field as the other colors greens and blues are one of the last to leave the water column which is why water appears that kind of bluish green color most of the time uh, now this is again does not necessarily mean that bass can see red better though but we'll we'll come back to that later on again and as far as other things related to vision, motion in general is considered to be a major cue for bass. Pretty much everyone can agree that the best way to catch a bass of some kind is some kind of lure that you have to move, right? Whether you're whether you're, you're the kind of person to have that topwater frog that's kind of jumping across the surface, or that jerky minnow that's kind of moving its way through the, the middle of the water column, or that kind of slow up and down motion of a bottom lure like a bug or a crayfish. Mimicking those visual cues that bass are used to seeing seems to be a pretty common key to success in a lot of just kind of like online blogs or even um, some of these kind of lab trials. And that covers most of basic sight. Again, we'll circle kind of back to all these, these key scientific experiments closer to the end, but let's move on to sound. Now, kind of anecdotally, if you'll indulge me here for a second, one of the best fishermen I've ever known is my buddy Keith. So shout out Keith. Um, <laughs> His name's he, Keith. <laughs> yep, Keith. He, he's my best man at my wedding, actually. So hey, Keith. Uh, he and I would go fishing whenever we could, kind of towards the end of high school and all throughout college. No matter no matter how hard I tried, he he always outfished me. And his secret, at least at the time, seemed to be this buzz bait that he used. And if you've never used a buzz bait, it's kind of just how it sounds, where you just drag it through the water and it just makes a whole ton of racket. And it didn't matter if it was clear water, the typical tea colored water that you see in, in a lot of systems, a big lake, or just some old backwaters. Uh, Keith went with the, with the biz, with the buzz bait and it never really seemed to fail him. And that thing, like I said, just made so much racket when it was moving through the water that I fish just really couldn't refuse it. And I was always wondering if there was any credence to this. And uh, well, first I should say that talking about a bass's hearing probably isn't the best way to frame this just because bass are really only able to hear kind of mid to low frequency noises and what we're actually going to be talking about are their ability to detect vibrations in the water around them but the title sight sound and smell just kind of rolls off the tongue a little better so i hope you <laughs> oh when i'm talking about largemouth bass and how they pick up vibrations we're going to be talking about their lateral line system and lateral line just refers to this row of highly sensitive pores that run along the fish's kind of midline from its gills to its tail. 
And if you look at a picture, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Every angler has seen these, even if they didn't even know what, what they were looking at or what it was called. A largemouth bass is a lateral line system that not only includes pores run along, along the length of its body, but also a network around its mouth and eyes. The lateral line essentially amplifies uh, any vibrations around them, and the system is highly tuned and allows bass to even identify prey when there's a lot of background noise and other vibrations that bass are accustomed to in their day-to-day -day life. And there is evidence that this system becomes increasingly more important for bass as visibility decreases in turbid water bodies, of course. And again, we'll kind of circle back to all this in just a second. But lastly, let's talk about smell real quick. Anyone who's seen Shark Week knows that a great white shark can smell a drop of blood in an Olympic-sized swimming pool or something like that. But what about bass? So first, smell is pretty important for a lot of fish, and it's actually a good cue for prey species to know when a predator is nearby. As for bass, you may notice the next time you catch one that they seemingly have four nostrils, two on each side. Although it may appear this way, bass really only have two olfactory chambers, which is, you know, their actual kind of nose, if you will, your actual nostrils. The two nostrils simply serve as an entrance and exit for flowing water. And within each nostril chamber is an olfactory rosette with tons of folds. And these rosettes just receive the information from the flowing water and send that information to the bass's brain. A 2019 paper published in the journal Applied Microscopy went in-depth trying to piece together the finer details about how the system worked. And after reading that paper, one of the main take-home points for me was that bass are well-adapted to slow-moving or stagnant water that can be heavily degraded. So nothing really surprising there. But nonetheless, bass appear to have a keen sense of smell. Okay. Like I said, nothing crazy there. Smell, if I can digress for a second, smell doesn't seem to be kind of as important. I'm not going to say it's not important. As important as sight or that lateral line. So we're going to kind of focus a little more on those in a little bit. But uh, if we can talk a little more an anecdotally here and kind of on the side, several different outdoorsman-geared websites have published articles claiming that a largemouth bass's sense of smell is a thousand times better than a dog's. Now, I'm not saying they're lying, but none of them provided citations, <laughs> so I couldn't follow up on whether or not that was real. They all said research, re they would say something like research has shown that largemouth bass have a thousand times better smell than dogs could they, they didn't provide a citation so not saying they're lying but if they could anyone can find that citation please let me know and many other articles agree that a bass's sense of smell dramatically improves as a fish ages i will give some of these outlets credit huh improves yeah so they say like as the like fish gets bigger as the big yeah, great question they just say <laughs> as the fish gets bigger and older like the one of the most common line was that it doubles or triples as it ages again no, no real numbers to that so I like that's what we try to do articles. in this podcast that's a leg up here we try to give you the numbers for everything right sometimes unless you look at my earlier articles and <laughs> it's not the same yeah <laughs> we're all learning on the job here riley we're not getting paid to do this all right <laughs> like some of these other outlets research has shown <laughs> so like i said I'll, I'll give some of these outlets credit though because although they all seem to agree that bass have a keen sense of smell most also said that scented baits don't really seem to give anglers an advantage. So although they say that bass are really good at smelling, they don't. it doesn't seem to really impact how they hunt as opposed to sight or smell. So that gets us more or less caught up on the three main senses for largemouth bass. 
but I guess which one is really the one to target. So let's go ahead and see what the science says. But is there anything else you wanted to talk about before I get into the, the science stuff, Riley? Not much. Okay. Yeah, scented baits. I mean, I've seen people have good, like good success with like panfish and scented baits, almost like those little uh, that gulp scented things. It's yeah, those are so like, popular. I don't remember that being with bass fishing. I guess I, I don't. I've never had personal success with that. So I um, haven't either. One so website maybe like species. You know, there's so a difference the... between species. The one website that I was looking at, I'm not going to name them because I don't want to shame anybody, but they they went so far as to even point out the scent. So they said, in their experience, garlic and salt were like the scents to target for bass, in in their own opinion. And their little bio, their bio at the bottom of the page said that they had won dozens of bass fishing tournaments. So, so like I get salt, I guess. Um. I like in catfishing, different species, right? But like, uh, mm-hmm. what's it like? The sweet strawberry and like something else is like a big one. Well, I've never heard yeah, that. I don't we just like Kool Aid for... too for like what? carp. I've never heard yeah. that. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. But anyways, so um, interesting. Yeah. Go by species, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Did Did you have a go? Do you have a go to lure whenever you're targeting bass? Um, that's a good one. <sighs> like a crankbait. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like um, one. if it's more shallow though, like it's just a wacky worm, I think the mm-hmm. hookup. So like the hookup, like mm-hmm. where you hook it on the side and it just like mm-hmm. it goes through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like fishing it, I did a lot of bass fishing at Auburn, and it's just mm-hmm. it, it, it was stocked with bass. So like you yeah. could throw anything in there at at some point, and it's like yeah, yeah go for it. Like boom. Yeah, that's a good so, point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, despite the kind of tirade i'm gonna go on for the next Uh-oh. couple minutes here um at the end i'm gonna go ahead and recap this but i'm just gonna go ahead and say just do whatever works people so i'm not gonna sit here and say that you should use this lore that i'm just gonna say do whatever works because plenty of people that are gonna be listening to this have been fishing way longer than me so even mm-hmm. myself i'm as much as i'm probably going to talk about all this other stuff i might not even follow my own advice here so Let's go ahead and just dive right into it and start with a 2019 paper published by Mitchum et al. in Current Zoology. So the authors document a lot about largemouth bass vision, including the color range that largemouth bass are sensitive to. They even build a model to predict the colors that bass should react most to. And they tested these predictions using lab trials with real largemouth bass. Now, based on their predictions, bass shouldn't be able to tell the difference between yellow or white as well as uh, blue or green while they should be able to see red pretty much without any hindrance as the that really isn't very close on the color spectrum to most other colors when it comes to how that reacts with water now to test this the authors had some tanks filled with six bass each and they trained them by dispensing food out of a single colored dispenser once a day for 10 weeks Bass needed to strike the dispenser to receive food, but if no bass struck the dispenser after one minute, food was dispensed anyway to not starve them. Then the researchers tested how the bass could tell colors apart by placing different color dispensers on a foam board, letting that board float on the top of the tank, and then observing the bass's response. This included other experiments that also used a chemical cue paired with dispensers and dispensers with no color at all. In the end, the team found that bass were actually really good at picking the dispenser 
color they were trained to, except for white or yellow ones, which they picked almost at random between the two, kind of 50-50, which is what they expected to see. And Bass trained to blue or black, which seemed to pick them equally as well. So they were able to pick green apart from blue, but not blue apart from black or vice versa. And when you paired a chemical cue with the scent, the bass were nearly perfect. It was over 80% success rate, I believe, with that. So that And that chemical cue was some kind of scent. So we talked about scent. Maybe not playing as big a part, but it did seem to help. It was about 5 to 10% increase in that kind of strike success. Okay. Yeah. So this seems to suggest that lures, which are yellow or white, yellow and white, sorry, or black and blue just appear like the same color to bass. So there's not really any contrast in that lure. Whether or not that actually impacts whether or not they're going to strike it, not sure. Uh, this shouldn't be confused with colors that bass strike more often, though, as there doesn't seem to be much research on color preference in bass. This paper also highlights the synergy that bass have with their sense of sight and smell. And, and I mentioned it earlier, but a bass's vision is really limited to its environment, which sounds pretty obvious when you say it out loud, but the color of your lure doesn't really matter if the fish can't see it. So to back up this point, I have two papers with similar methods and results. The first is a 1984 paper by Anderson published in Ecology, but that paper was behind a paywall, which means I could really only, really only read the abstract. So I'm actually going to focus on a 2011 paper by Savino and Stein published in Transactions of the American Fisheries Society. So these two papers essentially looked at how habitat complexity impacts largemouth bass feeding success. And they did this by putting largemouth bass and bluegill together in artificial pools with vegetation densities ranging from zero to a thousand stems per square meter. So pretty dense at that thousand stems per square meter. And in general, the researchers found that bass activity decreased as stem density increased, which they believed was due to not being able to see their prey. Furthermore, dense vegetation masks the vibration, at least in my, this is, this is conjecture on my part, uh, Dense vegetation probably masks the vibrations that prey species give off, making it difficult for the bass's lateral line to pick up their movement. And all in all, the researchers concluded that bass predation success is closely connected to visual detection of their prey. However, they did not mention that potential lack of vibration that, that I mentioned there kind of offhandedly. So potential, something kind of to pick up there that they could have included in that study. And last but not least... I have a paper from 1993 by Jansen and Cochran in the Journal of Experimental Biology. So an oldie but a goodie here, 1993. <laughs> but these researchers were came out. That's 30 years ago. Einstein, oldie but goodie. <laughs> <laughs> so these researchers were looking how big of a role the lateral line played in the behavior of largemouth bass. They did this by presenting bass with a visual food stimulus, like a piece of squid or other food piece that they were accustomed to being fed, while also shooting a jet of water towards the fish at different pressures. These results show that in all 20 trials, when the bass went to strike the food and were hit with the water jet, it turned to bite the water jet 100% of the time, no matter the pressure of that water jet. They also injected the fish with chemicals to repress the signals from the lateral line system and found no response to the water jet. They also changed the position of the water jet as to where it would hit the fish, whether it be on the face or kind of more towards its tail or along the side there. 
and found a greater reaction. They didn't say what greater reaction meant. I don't know how you can get a better reaction than 100% success, but <laughs> neither here nor there. But they said they got a greater reaction when the jet was aimed towards the fish's side and tail. And they used this to conclude that stimuli from the lateral line can override visual cues. Now, that being said, the authors are quick to note that their results do not mean that the lateral line is more important than vision. And in my personal opinion, I really wish they would have explored that reflex a little bit more because to me, it sounds like a much more of a reflex than anything. And like I said, I'll admit I'm, I'm not an ichthyologist, but I do wonder if it's just a reflex that the fish is feeling this huge stimulus coming at it. So it's not rushing by it. It's straight up coming at it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it may perceive that as something other than prey and instinctively turn to investigate or confront this. And it kind of just brings to mind this one thing we talk about in ecology a lot is it's the preference to avoid being eaten over eating. Right. Mm -hmm. So Obviously, a big thing for, for a lot of animals is to try to find food. But if you become food, finding food isn't isn't your biggest problem, right? So mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. kind of a little squirrely there with some of the methods. Squirrely. But it, so it kind of seems like vision and lateral line kind of seem like the biggest cues there. And they can play off each other. And perhaps the lateral line at times can override that. And unfortunately, like I said earlier, I couldn't find any papers that quantified how important a bass's sense of smell is. But if anyone finds it, please send it our way. But with all that, what is it, where does this really leave us? So, like I said, really didn't intend this to be something which dictates how you set up your rod next time. But if you asked, I'd probably say something that makes a lot of noise, looks like something a bass has eaten before, and swims or acts like something a bass has eaten before. That that probably isn't very helpful. And there's plenty of for plenty of anglers, and including myself we've all used tackle that don't fit those criteria and have caught plenty of fish. So I'd honestly just say do what works. Uh, definitely consider the visibility of your water. If you're fishing, if you have a Laura, it doesn't make a bunch of noise and you're in muddy water. You're probably going to have a rough time, but that's, that's pretty much all I got for today. So I hope, hope someone learned something. I guess the, the biggest thing I learned is if my little glow worms don't work, I'm definitely switching to a buzz bait next time. Little glow worms. Mm-hmm. Well, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I remember what you were saying. Like, so, like, um, yeah, when bass fishing, it's like, yeah, they can't see it. You're not going to, it doesn't matter what color it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, the, I think that was my big one when learning how to bass fish. It's like, yeah, when in doubt, figure out what's in the pond. Mm -hmm. Like, what are they eating? Are there, mm -hmm. you know, if you throw something that looks like a shad and there's no shad, like, you might have some troubles. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, good job. Maybe, man. Like I said, maybe nothing too surprising, but I think this is definitely stuff that when I'm sitting on the water and not catching any fish, I'm like, what's like the what's the key? So in my, mm -hmm. it seems like in my thing, I just needed to be a little noisier with my bait. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, that's Very all nice. I got. If any, yeah, if anyone's interested in learning more about this and similarly related topics, head on over to Substack.FreshwaterPerspectives.com. And if you have any other ideas that you want us to talk about, any comments, questions, concerns, feedback, or fact checks for us, make sure to send that to fwperspectivespodcast at gmail.com. See you later, Riley. See you, Matt.